0: Please be seated. One of the great things about living in this area is all of the access we have to world-class museums all around us, many of them free. And I've been here just a little over three years and I'm ticking away at at all the places I want to go to, but there's still some places that I haven't been to. And there's one particular museum that I've been interested in seeing and And I thought it was a little bit of a sign last week at our speaker series, one of the curators from that museum spoke to us about a Picasso exhibit that they had. And that museum is the Phillips Collection. And so I had a pass to see it. I figured it was time, so I I took a few hours. I went over there. If you've ever, ever been to the Phillips Collection, you know it's an old stately home that was really the residence of the Phillips family, but over time they sort of morphed their home into being a modern art museum. And now it's fully a modern art museum. Nobody lives there except for the paintings anymore. Um, And when you go, part of it you feel like you're in a home, part of it is just like a regular museum. But I noticed the day that I happened to be there, maybe it was because I was short on time or something else, I found I was not in the right mind frame I was kind of rushing through, and and what I caught myself doing, which is not what you should do when you go to an art museum, I was reading, looking from right to left, meaning I was looking at the label first and then looking at the paintings. And when I say I was looking at the label, I was looking at the name of the artist. And I was paying more attention to the artists that I had heard of before, the artists that I knew and cared about, and the ones I didn't really know about, I just kind of rushed past so I could get to the good stuff. When I caught myself, I realized that is completely wrong. You know, fame, status, of course, that plays into the art world like it plays into so much else about our culture. But the point of art is seeing art. We have to liberate ourselves sometimes from ourselves. So, in the parable that we just heard that Jesus taught, He has an audience that he is speaking to, and we are told who they are, but we don't get much detail. We just get one important detail. These people are people who trusted in themselves and who held others in contempt. People who trusted in themselves. We don't need to know what they looked like. We don't need to know what their jobs were. We can picture that crowd, can't we? Even though it was 2,000 years ago, it doesn't feel that foreign to imagine to whom he was speaking. And to be honest, it could be us. So he tells his parable. He is telling a story about two individuals, two men. One is a Pharisee and one is a tax collector. And if you've heard the story and you're familiar, you probably have a sense of who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. But if you were hearing this for the very first time, everybody hearing this would have known Obviously, the good guy is the Pharisee, and the bad guy is the tax collector. So the Pharisee, a Pharisee in that time, was a person who contributed to the community, a person of faith and prayer, an upstanding and even heroic kind of individual. And the tax collector, it's actually very hard to convey how repulsive a tax collector was to people in that community at that time. And I wanna sort of say, because there might be, the tax collectors then had a different role than people that you might call tax collectors today. Um, (laughs) Because I realize there could be some people who work for the IRS in this room. (laughs) This is not you. (laughs) The tax collectors at that time were known, it was part of what they did was to take money. Basically, they were crooks. Um, and they were upholding a very corrupt system, and they knew it. And we hear the words of these two men, the Pharisee first. We hear his words where he says, I thank you, God, that I am not like these other people, like adulterers and thieves, or even this horrible tax collector who's in the corner of my eye right now as I am praying. And I always laugh a little bit. I find it amusing and funny, that this prayer is just so unvarnished. But you'll ever notice with humor, usually things that make us laugh, it's because there's a little truth in there. Well, the other prayer is the tax collector himself. And notice, and I don't think this is a small detail, he is standing far away from others. He is separated. He's isolated. And he can't even look up. He is beating his breasts. And all he is saying is, have mercy on me, a sinner. It has been pointed out that even though we use the words almost interchangeably, the words guilt and the word shame, there is a difference between the real meaning of guilt and the meaning of shame. And the difference is, guilt is, I did bad. And shame is, I am bad. It's a big difference and notice with the tax collector he would be shamed he would be looked at as somebody who is fundamentally bad and likewise unredeemable and yet jesus looks at him and says look at this man he is ready to turn and the point of the parable is not be like a tax collector and everything is fine the point of the parable is be like a redeemed tax collector who knows about mercy. Getting back to the paintings at this museum, there were two paintings actually that did grab me, that I found myself returning to and and spending extra time with. And I will confess, they were actually two of the most famous paintings by the most famous painters, but they were great. One of them is a scene of people. It's sort of a a party outdoors with boats behind, and it's very famous by Renoir. And when you look at it, it just looks like a regular scene. Just people are gathered having a regular time, a good time, and that this moment has been captured forever with light conveyed by paint. The other painting is completely different by one of my favorite artists, Edward Hopper. And it's of a man who is sitting on a curb. It's a Sunday morning and behind him are storefronts that are all closed up. And he's sitting in the sunlight, but it looks cold. And the way he's sitting, you wonder, is he lonely? Is he pensive? Is he just taking some quiet time and waiting? You could stare and wonder and something about the way it is painted, you could look at that painting all day, or at least I could. Um, I think somebody said after the nine o'clock service, because it's a Sunday morning, maybe he's sad because he's not getting Eucharist. <laughs> he should be in church. Um, both of these paintings, though, depict utterly ordinary things, but they're extraordinary. And I think that's what we are. That's what we humans are. We are ordinary and extraordinary. And every person we meet is ordinary and extraordinary. And so the minute that you think you are great, you've got it wrong. And the minute that you think you are worthless, you've also got it wrong. Because you are in fact ordinary and extraordinary. And I want to say a word about names. You know, the names of those artists, they're important. We, we want to see them, we want to know the identity, who it is that, that we're looking at. And we, ourselves, when we talk to each other, um, we all have a name, we have an identity, and we all have a relationship with our names. I will say one icebreaker that I love to do, I was a new person in this community about three years ago and I had the opportunity to ask this icebreaker many times. You can ask, tell me something about your name. And when somebody shares about their name, they're sharing something important about who they are. And this is not helpful or edifying, but um, I will share The the way I often answer that question, I share a story about my name, which is a very sad story. Uh, My name, Robert William Fisher, i most of the time like, but I've got a mixed feeling about it because on the FBI 10 most wanted list is a man named Robert William Fisher. And I really hope that they catch him. I think he's in Canada hiding out, so I don't know. (laughs) Put the word out there. But our names are important and today we will Um, celebrate a new name for a person here in this community. But above the names that we are called, our particular identity here in our particular communities, we also have another name, a name that is even above everything else that each of us has, and that name is Beloved. We are beloved in our ordinariness and our extraordinariness. And I want to close with an illustration, and this illustration came to me um, as I was pondering this reading, and it it was incredible to hear. You know, often you hear illustrations, it's easy to illustrate what's wrong in the world. When you see an illustration of what's right in the world, um, we need to lift those up. And so this is one of those. I was talking to a good friend of mine who is up in New England, in a rural part of New England, the other night, and He was obviously, um, I could tell, very happy with what he had done that evening. And and I said, well, tell me about what have you been up to? He said, well, I just cooked a meal, chicken and biscuits, for 15 people. Now, my friend, I think, can cook, but he's not known for his cooking. And for him to cook a meal for 15 people, I said, well, you've got to tell me more about that. What's this about? Well, turns out there is a community that lives in a house near where he is, and it's called Dismas House. It's an intentional community, um, and it's a nonprofit organization. And some of you may know who Dismas is, St. Dismas. Dismas was the thief on the cross who repented, to whom Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. St. Dismas. He is not named in the text of the Bible, but legend has it that that was his name. And so Dismas House is a home where half of the people living there are formerly incarcerated individuals who are coming into the outside. And the other half are young students, college students, and they share their lives together. And the way my friend described it was that those who are coming out of incarceration are lifted up by entering into this hopeful community. And those who are young students are humbled when they get to know their housemates, and they learn about life and experiences that others have had. We look and speak about beloved community, look to and speak about beloved community. That is one of the things Dr. King spoke of often, something that comes out of the training that many have done called sacred ground here in our St. John's community over the last two years. It is seeking a community where everyone is seen, and in everyone the image of God is seen, where no one is neglected and everybody is valued equally. Beloved community is possible. 25 of your fellow parishioners gathered yesterday here to speak about how do we carry on the work that was begun with sacred ground, how do we actively live into our calling to build beloved community It can be done. And we can be part of the doing. Those who are exalted will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen.